Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Babylon had continued to grow rapidly. Many people groups with diverse backgrounds and religions had become a part of the kingdom and had worshipped their own gods. What the empire really needed was a single God that all people could bow down to in harmony and in unity. This will bring the entire empire together under the king's leadership. And so once again, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, had a grand idea. He decided that his kingdom should worship a common idol, a massive image. And to demonstrate the extent of his wealth and glory, Nebuchadnezzar decided to make this image out of pure gold. Daniel chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. If you were with us last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 1. And we learned about Daniel and his three friends. And we've answered the question, we're trying to answer the question, how should we then live? One of the things that we'll notice today in chapter 3, Daniel doesn't appear in this chapter. There's a great deal of discussion among biblical scholars where he's at or where he might have been. Most believe it's likely he was representing the king in some foreign land. And as we read, this image of gold was 90 feet tall and only 9 feet wide. That's a ratio of 10 to 1. An average person, their height uh, in relation to uh, their, their, white, their height and their width is 5 to 1. And because of the oddly proportioned image, it is believed uh, it looked malformed and distorted and even grotesque. To appropriately dedicate this image, Nebuchadnezzar sent out an invitation to all of his officials throughout the land of Babylon. In Babylon, there was no RSVP. If the king invited you to be there, you were there. Let's look at verse number two. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone, everyone in the land to bow down and worship this image at the same time. And then he employed his royal orchestra to come and help set the mood. Some have suggested that the head count for this grand assembly may have been as many as 300,000 people coming from all over the Babylonian empire. And so when the orchestra began to play, all 300,000 from across uh, the, the province of Dura bowed down to worship. All 300,000, except for three. Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward 
and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve you, your gods, nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. When everyone in Babylon did what was culturally relevant by bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did what was right before their God. Everyone bowed down except for three. As I said last week, a study of the book of Daniel is relevant for us today because it portrays a period of history much like we are living in today. The spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon has permeated our land into our government, our schools, and sadly, even into our homes. Spirit of Babylon? Uh Uh-huh. Humankind's attempt to usurp the authority of God. I know better. My belief, my opinion, my agenda I'll follow that first. And if it fits God's, I may submit. We see throughout the Bible over 300 times uh, that Babylon is mentioned. 300 times. And those 300 times, it's always related to ungodliness, sexual immorality, and pride. One of those passages we see in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Let me read this, please. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you'll not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. You see, this passage in Revelation is is God's call to us today to come out, to separate ourselves and to crush the spirit of Babylon. Those who remain part of this ungodly world system, this passage says, will eventually share in her sins and therefore reach her plagues. We must, we must crush the spirit of Babylon. We must evaluate on a regular basis if this spirit of Babylon has permeated our heart, 
our soul, our mind, and our strength. Francis Schaeffer, the theologian in the the late 20th century, asked this question, how should we then live? And it's important that we answer that question as we see the spirit of Babylon, a part of our culture and our land. We are challenged with how we should answer the question, how should we then live? Daniel and his three friends answered that question. It took enormous conviction and commitment. Last week, we talked about conviction. We talked about the importance of having a conviction to know who we are in Jesus Christ, to understand our identity in Jesus Christ. The second conviction we talked about last week was this conviction to establish a biblical worldview. Today, let's talk about the importance of commitment. Daniel and his three friends did not survive and thrive in Babylon with a token commitment, not at all. Their commitment consisted of practical daily habits that transformed their lifestyle. It transformed their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Their conviction was that internal reservoir of strength within them. Their commitment created a tangible conduit for that reservoir to flow into real life. So today, we want to look at two commitments. Oh, we could look at many more than just two. Um, But we want to look at two commitments that we must hold true so that we too can thrive in our culture. These two commitments will transform our lives and help us To answer the question, how should we then live? Here is the first commitment, a commitment to Philippians chapter 2. Well, that's a good, exciting point, isn't it? A commitment to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 3 through 5. Do nothing out of vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I had four or five pages all typed up, ready to go, that had nothing to do with this, and I was ready to teach, preach, and let it happen today. Humility. Seriously. Humility doesn't preach. There are all other kinds of topics I could talk about today. I wanted something powerful and strong and in your face, something that will keep people awake. But humility puts you to sleep. You know what? Can I use this chair today? This chair kind of freaks me out a bit. Pastor Chad is an expert at this chair. I mean, he does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he does this. I mean... I'm afraid to use this chair because I'm afraid that I'll trip and fall or something, but I'm going to try it today, okay? Before, Before we look at humility, let me just take a moment and talk about one of the points I wanted to talk about today. And then we'll get back to, to, to what God wants me to share. <laughs> so, uh, listen, church, I wanted to talk about a commitment to blushing. A commitment to blushing. 
some of you may not even know what that means. You Google the word blush, the first page, all you see is makeup tips. <laughs> Seriously. No thanks. <laughs> the second page, you find out a definition of blushing. Blushing is when you get embarrassed or shameful of something you've heard, you've read, you've listened to, you've submitted yourself to, or whatever. Like, I remember a day when we would go, oh my, <laughs> and we would be embarrassed to, to listen to that kind of stuff. But today, there is no commitment to blushing. Ephesians 5.3 says, there should not even be a hint, not even a hint, of sexual immorality. But because of the spirit of Babylon that you and I live in every day, and because of the media, and, and we can point fingers, and, and I'll do that for a moment, we've allowed a lack of blushing to be a part of our lives. There is no longer any conviction or commitment anymore to blushing in relation to, to how we think, what we watch, what we wear. I told you, this will keep you awake more. Well, anyway. A couple weeks ago, I was really excited because I was watching TV, and I heard that on Sunday nights during the summer on ABC, they're going to have some of these 1970s game shows back on. And as a kid, I grew up on game shows. I mean, that just was the way it was. And so I was excited. So they were going to have these game shows on, and I was going to watch them and kind of just go back to my childhood. And uh, the first one came on, and, and it said TV 14 rating. I thought, well, they must have made a mistake. I mean, this is the $100,000 pyramid. How can this be TV? And the more I began to watch it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I watched the next one thinking it'll get better. It got worse because it was later in the night. And I said to myself, what is happening? And for half a moment, I began to blush. And I, that felt good. We have to make a commitment to get back to blushing. Okay. <laughs> However, humility, I am convinced, if, if we're going to thrive and survive in our culture, we have to submit ourselves like Christ submitted himself. We have to be soaked in the spirit of humility. I believe we can change our culture if we just humble ourselves and be servants like Jesus was. Let's go back to our story of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, look at verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
before these three friends could answer the charges, the king offered them a second chance. And this offer demonstrated the loyalty the king felt towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Any but these three who had been in his service for more than 20 years, they would have immediately been executed. However, despite the loyalty, the king made it clear. Dudes, one more time. One more time. And if you don't. You see, these three friends knew that to worship an idol, an image made by human hands, would be to defy and defile their God. Defy and defile their God. I said, I said last week, wouldn't it be amazing if there were a generation of students who declared to God and to one another, I will not defy or defile my God in this generation. Wouldn't that be awesome? And wouldn't it be awesome if there was a generation of parents who had that same conviction, who raised their kids in that way? Kids, family, we will not defy or defile our God in our home by what we watch, what we read, how we talk, how we dress. Get back on the chair maybe, huh? No. Um, we will not defy or defile our God. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a generation in America that would say to themselves, we will not defy or defile our God. And so without being disrespectful and in humility, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave the world's most powerful king at that time their answer. It is said that these friends uttered one of the greatest statements of faith in the entire Bible, but delivered in a spirit of humility. Here's what they said. Here we stand in the same place we have stood for the last 20 years, bowing our knee to none other but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We will not bow to the king's image. There was no need for them to huddle up and debate whether or not they were going to bow or not. They already made up their minds. Here is what's amazing. Their humility became their strength. Their humility became their courage. Their humility became their strength. Let's go back to our story. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Notice in this passage that they refer to the king at least two times by saying, O king, out of respect for his position and his role. The quiet, calm, and respectful attitude of these three friends is an incredible example of humble commitment. I hope this is not too offensive, but so many of us in the faith, we can be some of the most arrogant and proud people on the face of the earth. Why? We live with convictions. We know who we are in Jesus Christ. 
We've established our biblical worldview. We get it. Our future is secure. We're on our way. And sometimes that carries a little bit of arrogancy. However, our attitude can be, should be uh, described as that of Christ. One of the primary personal enemies of any of us is the natural tendency of self-centeredness, which is, by the way, encouraged by the spirit of Babylon. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Martin Luther once said, God created the world out of nothing. And as long as we realize that we are nothing, he can still make something out of us. How should we then live? How, should, how can we crush this spirit of Babylon? Here are three very simple, practical, but profound principles. Number one, be humble in heart. Are you falling asleep? Okay, because sometimes this topic causes people to get sleepy. Be humble in heart. Acknowledge Christ as Lord of your affections. When he's the center of your heart, he will keep yourself in check. Let Christ be first and don't think of yourself as much as you do. Keep the focus on him. How should we then live? Secondly, be humble indeed. Be humble indeed. Make it a habit of serving others. This was amazing a few weeks ago um, when we had Serve Week, and it impressed me so much regarding uh, Leah Fuller, our Serve Director. I think it was after the first day, uh, the TV cameras were there um, because they had heard or seen the red shirts around the area, the way we were loving the 419, and they wanted to interview Leah. They wanted to interview some of us. And Leah very humbly said, thanks for being here. Thanks for noticing what we're doing. But we don't want to do any interviews. This is not about us being on TV. It's not us about being you know, the wonderful people that we are. It's us. It's all about us loving the 419. The best way to develop humility is to put others first and go out of your way to quietly serve them. How should we then live? Number three, be humble in word. In conversation, change the subject off of yourself to the other person. Wow, what a novel thought, huh? How many times a day do we use a personal pronoun in our conversations? I, me, me, I, I, you get it? Learn to listen, commit to pray over what others tell you. When it comes to humility, obviously, Jesus is the ultimate standard. Humility means following Jesus, using his life as our barometer and refusing to compare ourselves to others. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And in my mind, there's no better way for us to bring this home today than by pausing in our service to participate in communion. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would take their places, please. Let me caution you for the next few moments. You're going to see this as a way to fill up some more time in our service maybe. 
Maybe you'll see this as a way of, of, of a, uh, doing a traditional uh, form of worship. This is not the plan for today. The plan for today is for us, yes, to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, but also <laughs> to remember the act of humility, the way that he served you and I by giving his life in a very humble way. The greatest act of humility is when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I. And so today, here at Calvary, communion is open. And that means uh, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to be a part of our communion service. As the tray is passed, please take a cup and a piece of bread. Hold on to that. And in just a few moments, we will participate in communion together. Let's remember today the act of humility that Jesus gave when he gave his life for us. Ushers, you may serve. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The bread that we hold in our hands today represents the body of Christ. His body was broken, beaten, bruised, so that we could have life today and eternal life someday. Let us pray. Lord, today we thank you for your broken body that you gave. We thank you, God, that you gave it today, or you gave it lovingly. You humbled yourself. You set the example for us so that we could live. Today we remember that as we eat of the bread. In Jesus' name, let's eat of the bread today. the cup represents the precious blood of Jesus. Nothing can wash away our sins except the blood of Jesus. And his blood was shed so that we could have our sins forgiven. Not just one time or two times. But when we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because of his blood. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you that your blood is powerful enough to save us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to make us righteous. And so today, God, we thank you, we praise you, we remember. In Jesus' name, let's drink of the cup today. Despite my antics on the chair, we must be committed to humility. I am convinced, as I've already said, our humility can help bring life change to our culture if we would truly submit ourselves to Christ. Commitment number two. 
A commitment to be all in. A commitment to be all in. After hearing their decline to bow down before the statue, Nebuchadnezzar was ticked off. (laughs) He was really, really mad. Not one, not even three loyal and trusted aides could so blatantly defy him and then live to tell about it. So the king was true to his word. These guys were going into the furnace. But before he threw them into the furnace, because he was so mad, he made that furnace seven times hotter than it was. Nebuchadnezzar summoned the strongest men in his army to bind the three friends with ropes and cast them into the fire. And the furnace was so hot that the guys that threw them in lost their lives. Although we have no idea how the furnace was constructed, it is assumed that it was open on the top and it was also open in the front, allowing witnesses to view the executions. We do know that Nebuchadnezzar could see inside the furnace and what he saw astonished him. Verse 24, this will be fun. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four, four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Catch what he says now. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and all of the officials crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their heads singed. The robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. What a great story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys were all in. Their decision not to bow down did not take place on the day they refused not to bow. They made this commitment 20 years earlier, back, remember, in chapter 1, when they said to the king's officials, we will not eat that food. You see, here's the deal. Complete commitment to Christ cannot be built on the day of crisis. Let me say that again. Complete commitment to Christ cannot be built on the day of crisis. This process begins with our initial surrender to Christ. And then it's developed throughout our lives. But it begins by making a conscious decision. God, I'm all in. No turning back. No turning back. Our commitment cannot be conditional. Our commitment cannot be conditional. A few years ago, a gentleman came to my office to let me know that he was all in. Pastor Bill, I'm all in. 
God's done a great work in my life, and I am all in. Awesome, I said, that is a fantastic way to go. I'm so proud, so pleased. He said, yeah, I'm all in. I need some advice about something. I said, okay, okay. He said, I, I, I met a former classmate on Facebook. Oh, okay. And she lives in Florida. Oh, okay. And, and he said, I, I, I've been there a few times to, to visit her and, you know, get better acquainted. And uh, I said, oh, oh, okay, okay. He said, I really think that God has wanted me to move down there to be with her. I said, oh, really? Really? Oh, cool. I said, have you been together, if you know what I mean? You know what I mean? He said, he said, well, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, well, you know what? You're not all in. <laughs> You're not all in, dude. You're doing a little tap dance right here in front of me. <laughs> and then he went on to say, you know what? Ah, okay, okay, but I really think I should go down there and just, you know, take my business down there. I said, oh, okay. I said, don't you have a son up here that's living with his mother and, and you spend a lot of time with him? He said, yeah, yeah, how old is he? He's five, yeah, okay. I said, well, when are you going to see your son? Oh, I'll come up a couple times a year. What? You're not all in, buddy. Commitment? It's all about you and your desires and your agenda and how you feel. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. I'm going to read this verse. It shows up on the screen, and there are some blanks. I'm going to see if you know what goes in the blank. When we get to the blank, if you would just say it out, okay? These are the words of Jesus. He says, love the Lord your God with Very good. All right, you're right. Oh, okay, let's keep going. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with Oh, you're getting stronger. Yeah, okay. With all your soul and with Oh, you backed off a little bit. Let's make it one more. Okay, all your mind and with strength all we have to be all in that passage includes our entire person our entire being for example heart love god with all our heart loving god with all your heart means that he is the source and object of your greatest desires and passions the core of your affections must be centered on him. It means that you are completely faithful and devoted to God and that his purposes direct every area of your life. If that statement does not describe you, you're not all in. Secondly, our soul. Loving God with all your soul has to do with your deepest longings, emotions, and convictions. It must be focused on Christ and bringing honor to him. The soul could be described as the core of who you are, the real you, meaning that your identity is completely one with Christ. If those statements don't describe you, man, you're not all in. Thirdly, our mind. Loving God with all your mind shows that serving him is not just a matter of feelings or emotion. It is a deliberate act 
of your will. Loving God with your mind requires doing what you know is right beyond how you feel or what rejection you may face. If those statements don't describe you, you're not all in. Finally, our strength. Loving God with all your strength means that your best energies and efforts into serving God and promoting his purposes is your priority. It also means that you're willing to persevere in your faith when circumstances are challenging. Again, if that statement, these statements don't apply or don't remind you of yourself, you're not all in. Oh, we like to be all in. I'll eat all the dessert. <laughs> A little bit on my challenge. Okay, um, I'm going to watch all the game. I'll spend all the money. I'll take all control. We like all. But when it relates to our spiritual commitment to God, we push it off to the side. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were 100% into serving God and obeying him. Their conviction worked its way into the practical commitments that became the custom of their lives and gave them the courage to say no to the king in humility. Many, many are crippled in their spiritual lives because of half-hearted commitments. And as a result, they do not experience the peace nor the power of Christ. Therefore, they will not be able to crush the spirit of Babylon. And more than likely, the spirit of Babylon in which we find ourselves living in may bring them to their ruins. It's amazing. It's amazing that some 580 years before the birth of Christ, King Nebuchadnezzar, in, the fi- in a fiery furnace, saw the Son of God, the one he was born in a manger, walking around in those flames. The fact that Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, identified the fourth person in this hot furnace as deity is simply remarkable. The king called for the three friends to come out of the furnace And when they approached, the king and his men were astonished that not a hair on their heads had been singed and their clothing had not been scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Only the cords that bound them had been burned away. How did this happen? The hand of God. But it happened because these dudes 20 years earlier made a decision, I'm all in. I'm all in. They had convictions, and they had a commitment to serve their God and to give their lives if they had to. As you know, uh, the church board uh, allowed me to have a sabbatical for six weeks, and it was awesome. And... um, while I was on sabbatical, I didn't do a whole lot. I kind of just moseyed around and uh, did this, did that, and it was, it was good. Uh, but one thing I did do is I, I read some books and uh, did a lot of reading. And uh, one of the books I read was A.W. A. Tozer's uh, The Pursuit of God. And I've referred to this book 
before on this platform, and so I took it back out and I read it again. Chapter 9 of this book, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, uh, he writes this. At the end of the chapter, he writes this prayer. He says, Lord, make me childlike. Deliver me from the urge to compete with another for place or prestige or position. Forgive me for thinking of myself. Help me to forget myself and find my true peace in beholding thee. I humble myself before thee. Lay upon me thy easy yoke of self-forgetfulness, and through it I may find rest. So, just a good reminder that we need to have this commitment to humility. Another book I read was a story of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was born in the early 19th century, and he was alive when World War II took place. He was, he was born in Germany. And um, when Hitler was destroying the Jews, he was also destroying Christians there in uh, Europe. And uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer lost his, uh, lost his life at the age of, in, in his late 30s, because of his commitment. But he says this about commitment. The religion of Christ is not a tidbit after one's bread. On the contrary, it is the bread or it is nothing. People should at least understand and concede this if they call themselves Christians. Diedrich had a friend. And his friend said this about Diedrich. He was one of the very few men that I have ever met to whom his God was real and ever close to him. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was all in. Stand with me today, please. Again, the question that we're asking is how should we then live? How should we then live? I think the best way to answer that question is to declare before God to ourselves, I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning
you remember last week at the end of our service, I asked you to, uh, we uh, placed our hands on our heart and we placed our hands on our mind. Today, can we just lift our hands before God and make a commitment to him? Oh God, raise up a church, raise up a people who will be truly committed to you Raise up a church that will humble themselves, that will live in humility, who will serve others first and themselves. Raise up a church, oh God, that will choose to be all in. Help us, Lord God, to not defy or defile you and how we live our lives as we live in this land today. God bless your church, lead your church, I pray. We give you all honor and praise now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.